This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 131. This episode is diving into fertility and hormones and vaginas in general. I learned so much from Lisa Hendricks and Jack. We got to read her book. And actually, at this point, a couple people on the seed team have read her book because it's fascinating. And it's definitely not what I grew up learning about with my body. And for me, it has played such a huge role in this fertility journey. We wound up finding out that my body was really low in progesterone and that that was most likely leading to my early miscarriages. You may have seen over on social media that I am pregnant again, and this happened from one month of supporting my progesterone production. One month in, and we got pregnant and are hopefully going to sustain this pregnancy with the support of some progesterone, and man, it is so wild how little information I had access to as a gal who had a period like for so many years I like the last 20 years I've had a period and I had taken hormonal birth control you hear a lot about my journey here but I'd taken hormonal birth control at in my journey and just how much it could have affected my body that I wasn't even aware of y'all I know personally, if we have kiddos who are born with a vagina, I want to support them with tools to navigate birth control and hormones in a way that is supportive for their systems as a whole. So this, for me, was not just an educational episode for me as an adult, but also for me to learn about how do I want to support our kiddos If they do have a vagina, what could I learn to do better than I had growing up? I hope you enjoy getting nerdy with us. (laughs) I ask all my questions. When I recorded this episode, 
it was during the time period where I was, well, it turns out still in the middle of a second miscarriage, although we had thought I was done with it at that point. To hear a bit about my miscarriage journey, if you're not ready to hear about that, you can hit pause on this episode and come back to it another time. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, I'm here with Lisa Hendrickson Jack, the author of The Fifth Vital Sign. She reached out a few months ago to ask if we were interested in reading her book and diving into this discussion about really female bodies. And it, as we started to read it, it was it started off for me as a book about like periods and our menstrual cycles and became so much more. And we said yes, and we were prepared to interview, and then I navigated my second miscarriage and realized I had to put this um, to the side for a little bit, so I'm excited to come together with you now, Lisa, to have this conversation. Thanks so much for your patience. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for having me. Totally. I'm jazzed. Um, reading your book, my whole team, we have a team of all women, and we were fired up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> We were like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and diving into like, how did we get here? Where do we go from here? What does this mean for folks who have kids with a vagina and uh, what this means for them for the future and all that jazz. So I'm, I'm really stoked. Can you share with folks a bit about kind of what led you here and what brings you here today? Yeah, I mean, um, what happened in my case was that I discovered fertility awareness at a pretty young age. So uh, I would say when I became sexually active and needed to figure out how I was going to manage my fertility and not get pregnant, I decided to come off the pill. I had been taking the pill for period pain and I had never used it for birth control. And I was concerned that because I didn't always take it at the same time, I would always just be scared that I would just be pregnant. And I didn't want to live in a state of fear all the time. Now, I know that's kind of the opposite to a lot of women's experience, but it certainly was mine because I had read the package and it was like, if you don't take it at the same time. And so I just didn't want to be scared all the time. So I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to use condoms. I also grew up in a time where condoms were presented as an effective and safe method of birth control. Whereas I've noticed that now there's this idea that it's like, you're either on the pill or pregnant. It seems like this is the, I, like this lie that has been perpetuated. So, but it wasn't like that. So for me, I was like, well, if I'm going to use condoms all the time and condoms are effective, then let me just skip the pill part. I also had some concerns because I was taking it because I had these issues with my period, but every time I would go off of it, so I would, you know, I went, I had these painful, heavy periods, and then I would take the pill and then my withdrawal bleeds, which I thought were periods, would be lighter and less painful. And so I thought, oh, I'm fixed. And then I would go off of it because, right, I'm fixed. And <laughs> then I would get the heavy, painful periods again. And uh, so at some point I realized that it wasn't doing anything and that the periods while I was taking it were the same. I didn't have the knowledge that I do now, but I knew enough to be like, uh. And um, <laughs> so long story short, I decided I was going to use condoms, got off the pill to try to 
figure out how to actually deal with the heavy, painful periods. And it was right around that time I discovered fertility awareness. So um, the basics, base of it is that you're not fertile every single day and you can identify the window of fertility in your cycle. You can use barriers or avoid unprotected sex during that time. And outside of that, you can't get pregnant. So combining that with condoms is how I managed my fertility for my entire 20s. And um, very soon after I discovered fertility awareness, I connected with women who were teaching it, uh, many of whom were trained educators. I took a class along with a group of other women, and I started teaching it as well. But it was really after I had my first son, who is now seven, that I kind of started to think about sharing this information on a larger scale. So I'd always done it on a local level. But I realized that most women still have no idea how our bodies are working. Our medical system and our education system are not teaching us anything, um, really. <laughs> and uh, so I took it, I was just like, you know what, you've got to be the change you want to see. So let me just start talking about it. I started my podcast. And then since then, I've written the book. And it turns out women actually do want to hear about how their body works what a surprise <laughs> what a surprise <laughs> uh we are worthy to, to be talked about so i as we were reading this i i just a little background i grew up in a catholic household with four brothers i'm the only girl and uh i when i got my period i remember like yelling to my mom from the bathroom it was the morning before school i was 12 years old and I remember her handing me a pad and then stopping at the store on the way to school to get me a pack of pads. And I taught swimming lessons. I was an athlete. There were so many ways in which a pad was not going to work for me. Um, but she didn't have the tools to talk about this. Um, it made her uncomfortable still. My, I, my like whole existence in the world has really been to make my mom uncomfortable. And uh, <laughs> this is just another avenue in which I have done that. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I, she wasn't a safe space for me to go and say like, hey, what's going on here? And to really like get to know my body in any capacity. As I was reading this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the book that I needed as 12-year-old Alyssa, right? Like to just like teach me about my body. And I ended up, um, Kate Ensel ended up teaching me how to use a tampon because I thought that I could just like fire it up and it would like somehow get sucked into my vagina. Uh, <laughs> Rocket out, ship blast! <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, turns out it's not how it works. Um, <laughs> but, but all this to say that like I was not, I, I didn't come up in a household where people were talking about their menstrual, menstrual cycles or even knew how to have this conversation and my dad's never once in my life like bought me tampons uh right and uh then i'm i as i got older and my journey with my body changed and i ended up marrying someone who uh grew up in a household of mostly women he has three moms and a dad and is like super duper comfortable talking about this and almost more aware of how women's bodies work than than i am and uh it was just such a shift and now as we look we're in this phase we've had two miscarriages in the last year and i've been really i haven't gotten to know my body as much as i have in the last year than ever before and so I, as we dive into this, I want folks to know that 
it's okay if this is an uncomfortable conversation for you right now. Uh, a lot of us didn't grow up having this conversation or even learning that it's okay to have this conversation. And I know I for sure had like inner voices that I had to really uh, take a good look at and get to know that would say like, ooh, that's not a conversation you can have with other people or ooh, this isn't something that you're supposed to talk about, et cetera. And I had to do a lot of work on that before I could even get to know my body. Um, so as folks are tuning in, I wanna let you know, like we're gonna push outside your comfort zone probably and it's okay to live there for the next 40 minutes. Uh, so. Let's get outside that comfort zone, Lisa. Um, <laughs> well, first I think is really talking about like, how did we get here? Um, there's a part in your book where you talk about if men had periods, what it would look like. And it is hilarious, it's so good. And it's so true. And um, actually, do you have your book handy? Um, I do, I was thinking the same thing. So it, can you it, read that part? Yeah, I'll see if I can. Sometimes I'm not the greatest at finding something on the fly. That's but okay. it's a quote from uh, Gloria Steinem. Mm -hmm. She wrote a whole essay. So you can, for anyone who wants to read the whole thing, because I don't have the whole thing in here, uh, just search it. Um, Gloria Steinem, If Men Could Menstruate. <laughs> so I'll read an excerpt here. So what would happen if suddenly, magically, men could menstruate and women could not? Clearly, menstruation would become an enviable, worthy masculine event. Men would brag about how long and how much. Young boys would talk about it as the envied beginning of manhood. Gifts, religious ceremonies, family dinners, and stag parties would mark the day. Sanitary supplies would be federally funded and free. TV shows would treat the subject openly. So would newspapers and so would movies. Yes. Yes, yes. So much came up for me, like, in reading that, I was like, oh, I went down this path of, like, thinking about how we talk about men's sexual health in general versus women's, and, oh, man, it was just like, I, I'm right now feeling feelings. Um, but that, I think, is really at the core before we talk about what does this mean for us as women and how do we dive into figuring out how to communicate with our bodies or what our bodies are communicating with us. We first need to start by talking about the system as a whole and how we got here to this space where we're now saying, oh, hey, uh, you haven't paid attention to women's bodies at all or valued them. Well, I remember I did a podcast episode years ago uh, and I posed this question to my guest. I was like, why is it this way? And she looked at me and she said, misogyny. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, whoa, that's kind of harsh. But now I feel like she's correct. Yeah. And I mean, that word is pretty harsh because I, I believe it refers to the hatred of the feminine, um, which is pretty harsh. But there's a couple of, I think, historical pieces of information that can be helpful so that we can understand where this comes from. So um, I think that it's helpful to know that science was founded on the study of the male body. And, you know, even now, uh, many drugs are never even tested on women. Men, male bodies are considered to be the standard. And so often in science experiments, they would even experiment on male animals because the female uh, body is considered to be too complicated or it adds like a monkey wrench or something like that. And um, 
doctors who attended medical school in the past didn't learn that women respond to heart attacks differently. We have a completely different presentation, different symptoms. <laughs> so, I mean, this was like a recent discovery and a recent shift in the way that uh, medical doctors were trained and how to identify heart attacks. So women were dying because they didn't present in the same way that men do. So if we think about that, um, I mean, the way then that the female body is kind of integrated into it, male is the standard and the female, it's almost like our bodies are like men's, but we have these cool add-ons. <laughs> like we've got these breasts and these ovaries. Uh, and the analogy that I always uh, like to, to, to use is if I go to the car dealership and I buy a car, I can decide whether or not I want air conditioning, hmm. right? And if I get air conditioning or if I don't get air conditioning, the engine works the same. So somehow we've been, you know, I suppose brainwashed maybe to think that um, it's like that with our cycles. Uh, and that is essentially the premise for hormonal birth control, because one of the primary reasons or primary ways that hormonal birth control works is to shut down ovarian function. And we kind of think, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if you have a menstrual cycle, if you're not trying to have a baby, because we've never really been taught that in a, you know, biological female body, having a menstrual cycle is a normal and healthy part of normal function. And it is important for overall health, regardless of whether or not you're trying to have a baby. And it's integrated. We have receptors for estrogen, progesterone, you know, testosterone throughout our bodies. And if we're not producing these natural hormones, it has effects. So that's something I think uh, to keep in mind. And in addition to it, I was doing some research recently about the pill and the origins of that. And I came across some really interesting information. Um, when the pill was first released, the very first pill in 1960, uh, it wasn't even officially um, promoted or advertised as birth control. It was promoted as a way to deal with period problems. And then on the package, it said that it prevents ovulation. And that was the indirect way of saying that it was birth control because mm -hmm. apparently it was illegal for doctors to talk to their patients, their female patients about contraception. So if we think about some of that history, and that's only part of it, I'm sure, then <laughs> we went from illegal to talk about any of this stuff. So it, it kind of gives shed some light as to why even to this day, we're not provided with accurate, complete information about the menstrual cycle. Although, you know, a big, a bigger question is, you know, because I've over the years spoken to a number of doctors, interviewed doctors, um, talked to a lot of women who have doctors. And in medical school, doctors aren't trained fully about the way the menstrual cycle works either. Not in the ways that I teach my clients when we're talking about fertility awareness. So why is that? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, 
and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their luxe women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. And um, we talk a lot about what... Uh, pediatricians are trained in and not in when we're talking about pediatrics and social emotional development or sleep science or things like that as well. Um, yeah, I think that's they doctors often have just become this space that's supposed to be the voice you turn to um, for all things. And I, I remember actually last night I was chatting with my husband about this podcast interview and how jazzed I was for it and how timely it felt in our journey and. Um, I, he reminded me, I was like, I wonder why, because so for us with navigating fertility, um, we haven't gone down the route and don't plan to go down the route of this like medicalized fertility. I'm really interested, even with tiny humans, with everything that I do, I'm interested of like, what's at the core? Um, If something isn't happening, if a kid has delayed walking, like What's going on? What's not communicating within this the systems here that is preventing this child from from doing this, from from crawling, from walking, etc. And same with us as far as like getting pregnant, staying pregnant. I was more curious about like if my body isn't doing this, why? What's going on? And and how do I kind of like troubleshoot from the inside? <laughs> and uh, this is not a like shame, blame, judgment on anyone who has chosen a different path. This was simply the path that felt right for me. And Zach was like, oh, you remember a few years ago? Because I was wondering, where did this come up for me? I have friends and family who have gone down this more medicalized approach to fertility. And um, so I was curious, like, where did this start for me? Why all of a sudden, as a gal who was on birth control for years, hormonal and then non-hormonal, I did the copper IUD as well. Uh, Like, why, where did this shift come from? And he reminded me that I had gone to this conference, Partners in Perinatal Health, and this woman had given this speech that just like changed the game for me. It's also why I switched my IUDs, where she had was talking about her journey with fertility and how um, she had trouble shooting it from like 
products that were going on her skin and food that she was eating and just like lifestyle changes that she made that ended up leading to um, three successful pregnancies and all that jazz. And so I was like, it just sparked for me like, ooh, <laughs> like noted. And at that time I was on the Mirena and was like, all right, I'm going to switch to the copper IUD. I don't know more about what I'm going to do yet, but it made me, made me question like the hormones that I'd been putting into my body and didn't know where to go from there. And so I just did that. But Zach was right that like, that was what sparked this change for me. So I was like, oh, I literally that had never crossed my mind that the hormones I'd been taking would have a negative effect. In my mind, it was just stopping me from getting pregnant. I had not seen the layers in which this would be adding. Can you break that down for folks that like, what else is going on if you are adding hormones to your system through a pill or through a hormonal IUD? What is what else is that changing besides not having you ovulate? Well, I think that in order to understand the ramifications of shutting down ovulation, yeah. you have to appreciate the role of ovulation in outside of trying to get pregnant. So um, when I titled the book, The Fifth Vital Sign, the purpose of that, the reason for that was to really get at the point that whether or not you're planning to have children today, having a menstrual cycle is a, a part of health. And, you know, outside of the hormone conversation, if you have issues with your cycle, so with a menstrual cycle, there is a normal set of parameters um, beyond even just the length, but the normal length can range 24 to 35 days, but within the whole cycle from the first day of your period to the last day before the next one, there are all these different parameters from your the quality and length of, of your period, the amount of bleeding, to how much cervical fluid you're seeing and when, and the quality of that, to when ovulation is taking place, and to the number of days between ovulation and your next period. So there's we can break the cycle down into different factors and really look at the overall quality. And if your cycles are consistently falling outside of those normal parameters, that is connected to health issues. So a clear example of that is in the case of hypothalamic amenorrhea when a woman stops menstruating altogether. So she's over-exercising, under-eating, and likely stressed. And that is kind of like the trifecta there. And uh, what happens is essentially she's starving. So there's another health issue that's related. And so she stops menstruating because her body is trying to conserve that energy. And what is interesting about it is that when that happens, a woman who loses her period for six months or more uh, rapidly starts losing bone mass and it, it becomes at a lifetime risk of uh, lifetime higher risk of developing osteoporosis. Mm. So another sense. example <laughs> is if you have irregular periods and you uh, you know you go 45 days without a, a period and 52 days without a period, like you're still ovulating and menstruating, but it's kind of all over the place. So women who experience that, one of the common reasons is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is um, linked to um, insulin resistance, glucose intolerance, inflammation, and again, lifetime increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I'm sharing that information is because when your cycle is not functioning normally, it is associated with health con conditions because health conditions Im impact and negatively impact your body's ability to function normally. And ovulation menstruation is functioning normally so your question around uh you know how could how does the birth control pill affect your, you um you know even outside of the fact of stopping ovulation i think the first and foremost thing that we have to realize that ovulation in a woman of reproductive age is a central part of 
all of this. It's not just about having babies. It affects her bones. It affects her breasts. It affects her heart health. It affects her moods. It affects her sexuality. So her normal sexual function, her libido. Um, so when you disrupt that, if you look at the side effects, so anyone who's on birth control, uh, you know, if you have a pack, a pill pack or whatever pack, you know, open it out, get the, the insert and read it. If you don't have the pack, go online and search for it, the brand name and insert or something like that and read it. And then if you read it, the symptoms and side effects include, you know, depression, anxiety, loss of libido, painful sex. Um, some people lose the sexual, um, loss of sexual sensation or difficulty orgasming. Um, nutrient deficiencies, including B vitamins, um, throwing off the zinc copper balance, magnesium, selenium, like coenzyme Q, like the list goes on and on. Um, in addition, it increases your risk of certain cancers, including cervical cancer, breast cancer, liver cancer. Um, so there's, and, and it really goes on and on. Some women experience um, yeast infections, recurrent yeast infections. Yeah. It disrupts the gut, you know, biome. So the reason I'm kind of going on about the, the like, and there's more, right, is so that we understand <laughs> that a regular menstrual cycle with ovulation is actually, like, it's a normal part of the health. It's like when I gave the example of the car, mm -hmm. like it's, it's with the air conditioning functioning separately, ovulation isn't like that. Right. Yeah, totally. And, and I, that was one of the things that we like noted actually as a team was just the idea that the menstrual cycle isn't just about having babies, um, which I guess maybe it is how like my cultural context in, in which I was raised of like, oh, that's how it was presented was that like, it is, you would go on birth control to prevent a baby, which is why I, I shouldn't be on birth control as a Catholic human, whatever, uh, because it would prevent me from having a baby. And I'm a, I'm a, as a, as a Catholic child at that point, like that was my body's function. Um, and so like this, it's obvious, I feel like pretty clearly stems from like a patriarchal system of like, that's what the menstrual cycle had been potentially seen to do. We actually just watched the Netflix series Unorthodox. Um, and they highlight this like as this 19 year old is being married uh, to this, it's like an arranged marriage. And she wa they walk her through like her function and her role and why, like what their protocol is while um, women are bleeding. And then when, and how they're not sharing a bed and all these things they have to do. And then right when they stop bleeding, it's their job to have sex on that Friday with their male partner so that they can work on having a baby. And it was just, her body was literally presented as like a vessel for housing a human. And I was like, okay, I didn't grow up with that, but I did grow up with similar messaging. And so it, it might sound so simple to say the menstrual cycle isn't just about having babies, but that's, I guess the narrative that I had was that that is what it's for. And so while I could still bleed and have a period, um, that if I didn't want to have a baby, I shouldn't ovulate was really like the messaging that I had, I think, received. Well, and can I share just a different take? So, I mean, my book is heavily cited, like lots of science, yeah. so really like left brain. But if you, or right brain, I always get it confused, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but 
so ovulation, so from a, a more of an like esoteric perspective is we could consider it not the only source, but one of the sources of our creativity. Um, sexual energy is very totally. creative. When you suppress ovarian function, you are inadvertently significantly reducing the, our testosterone production from a hormone perspective, which is really crucial for normal sexual function. It's really crucial to maintain our sexual tissues, so our vulvar tissues. Um, there's research to show that hormonal contraceptives shrink the clitoris and thin the vaginal opening in the vulvar tissues, thus increasing the risk of some women experiencing painful sex. Uh -huh and decrease sensation and things like that. And so I'm, but from that energetic perspective, if you suppress that sexual energy, could you be suppressing the, um, the creative energy? So, you know, thinking about sex on a different kind of plane. Yeah. And I remember I, um, you know, I communicate with a lot of women. I think that it, it might've been in my Facebook group, but I, I, I often pose questions, right? As conversation starters, I don't remember exactly what the question was, but essentially it was asking about experiences that you may have had on a certain contraceptive. And I remember I had this woman um, respond that she had always been creative. She was an artist and she loved to draw and paint. And it didn't even occur to her, but since she had been on hormonal birth control, she didn't actually, like she stopped doing it. And for a separate unrelated reason, she eventually stopped taking her uh, contraceptives and lo and behold, she just rediscovered her creativity. And it was only after that, that she made that connection. So I'm obviously not saying that it's like that for everybody, but from an energetic perspective, uh, I mean, it, it certainly has a lot of implications and there are health professionals that I know of who have suggested that uh, putting young girls on hormonal contraceptives before they've even had an opportunity to discover their sexuality is similar to a type of, we could call it castration. Like we could call it like a chemical, temporary chemical castration. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting you note that because like I am for sure my most creative or even just have the most energy when I'm ovulating And my, actually my team knows this because <laughs> we have designed things or set things up so that um, I'm, I can have like creative juices flowing essentially at a time that makes the most sense for me to be creating something new. Um, if I'm going to be working on content creation, it's definitely easier to do at different parts of my cycle. Uh, thanks for noting that. So I think key thing, but it, all this to say, I guess that like the menstrual cycle does so much more for us than like bleed so that, and so that we can shed that lining because we didn't get pregnant that month. Um, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts. I know I shared that I've been on the copper IUD before. I'm curious to know your thoughts on like non-hormonal birth control options like the copper IUD. Um, yeah. And I, this gal Kiana is working on a non-hormonal birth control pill after her experience at 19, she shares finding out they ended up doing a hormonal panel and realizing she had hormones that mimicked that of a 65 year old in terms of the level of estrogen, testosterone, et cetera, that was in her body. And so she was like, yikes. <laughs> and as a scientist, and was like, I'm going to figure out how to create this. And when she went to figure out why a non-hormonal birth control pill didn't, it, it, they had already existed. They were not being brought to market. And when she went to figure out why, she was essentially told by folks in the FDA and across the board that it would disrupt the 
economy of the birth control pills that exist right now. And I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. So the economy is uh, more important than women's health here. <laughs> Yikes. Um, but I'm curious to know your, your thoughts. Well, on I mean, it always, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I think that it's, it's also helpful to note, like, the pill was the first drug ever created for healthy individuals to stop a normal natural function. Just putting yeah. it out there. Um, and what you mentioned about her getting her hormones tested and being basically a, a menopausal woman, uh, that is what it is. So there's side effects, which are, you know, experiences of how you feel on something. And then there's actual hormonal changes that all women across the board experience when they take medication. So the, the pill can make certain hormonal changes in all women, but each individual woman is going to experience that differently. So some women are going to experience more of this effect or that effect. So I just wanted to put out there that that's what it does. So one, I mean, it sounds so much better when it's like, it makes your body think you're pregnant. But what it really does is it puts you into a temporary chemical menopause. So when you're taking hormonal contraceptives, it lowers your natural hormone production to that of a, you know, menopausal woman. So her, I just want to point out, her experience is not unique. If you measured any woman on the pill, her natural hormones would be in that state because that's what it's doing. Yeah. Because it's putting your ovaries to sleep. But your question was about... Um, non-hormonal methods. So um, I think in general, when it, whenever it comes to, I think, even the broader conversation of medical devices, but hormonal contraceptive or any type of device that you're putting in your body, um, my uh, take on it is, is always the same, that we should be made fully aware of all of the potential side effects. Um, you know, I think the copper ID is a great option, works really well for, for a lot of women but there are women who it doesn't work well for. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, first and foremost with the copper ID specifically, women who are already tending toward heavier bleeding or painful bleeding, um, the copper IUD, one of the functions of it is that it causes some degree of localized inflammation and it, it interferes with the sperm <laughs> being able to um, maneuver around and it interferes uh, with implantation, things like that. So it, the main function is said to be that it prevents the sperm from really getting to where they need to go. But, you know, one of the secondary functions is that it does make the uterine lining in an in, inhospitable place. So for women who already had heavier bleeding or potentially painful bleeding, it can increase the, the, the bleeding and it can increase the cramping. So if you've never really had any pain with periods, then it's probably not necessarily an issue for you, but it's helpful to know that. And the only other thing I would say is that with any IUD, one of the most common things that I've heard from women who use the IUD is how painful the insertion can be. So every woman doesn't experience pain, but it's high. I, I don't have a scientific study here, but I would say like 80% of the women that I've spoken to did experience severe even if it was just for a moment. So if you're thinking about an IUD of any kind, hormonal or non-hormonal, mm -hmm. know that you have the right to ask your doctor for numbing. And if the doctor is clueless or won't do it, find another doctor, period, end quote. Okay, that's <laughs> IUD. Yeah. Um, in terms of other hormonal methods, I mean, I think that it's, it's helpful to remember that they do exist and they can work. And when you have, if you're not on hormones, uh, so whether or not you plan to use the fertility awareness method for birth control, because that's not, you know, one of the options as well, 
if you're not on hormonal contraceptives, it is helpful to consider starting to just track your cycle, even just for interest, to start to recognize that there is a certain part of the cycle where you're fertile and a certain part of the cycle that you're not. Because if you're using a barrier method or other non-hormonal method, then um, I've always found that knowing how your cycle works helps you to really use your method of choice correctly every time. Um, so when I was growing up, I think I mentioned this, condoms were taught to us as an effective method of contraceptive uh, contraception. I'm not sure what has changed. It's very strange. You mentioned industry and how they want money. And so it, it, the fact that when I was growing up, and I'm not that old, like 20 years ago, it was just normal. Condoms were presented alongside the hormonal methods and they were shown to be 98% effective. So they were shown to be right up there in effectiveness with the hormonal methods. And so condoms were like a viable option. But these days women are, you know, almost discouraged from trusting condoms because the, 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 the party line is if you're not, you know, on birth control, you're pregnant, which is not true. So um, I think with, so the methods, the non-hormonal methods, including condoms, um, diaphragm, cervical cap, and a lot of couples use withdrawal, so I'm not necessarily promoting it or anything, but I just say it out loud because I work with women and I'm talking about sex and all this all the time. And so a lot of people use withdrawal. So when you're using barrier methods, I think it's helpful, first of all, to know how to use them correctly. With condoms, the most important thing I can say is that you can't use condoms with oil-based lubricants or oil at all. And a lot of people don't know that. And it just, I can't even understand what's going on in the world. What kind of sex education are we having when you have, I've been in rooms full of adult women and I say, how many of you didn't, how many of you knew that you can't use oil with condoms? And like two people raise their hand and I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> in my instance, no sex education. Again, small, like Christian town and it was absolutely no sex education within our school and it definitely wasn't going to happen at home. Well, see that, I mean, this is part of the reason why um, so many women and couples just feel terrified mm -hmm. when you provide no education, when you provide no information about the, how the menstrual cycle works and you essentially just tell people that this pregnancy thing can happen every day. Just, it just turns into this random terror. Like you're always afraid. I will with, say it also made fertility really frustrating. So I was like, oh, well, you can get pregnant any day. So let me just take away this IUD and I'll get pregnant. And then when that didn't happen, it was like, wait, no, but I've been actively preventing this for, I don't know, over a decade at that point. And now I'm just supposed to be able to. And so like, it was, it was infuriating. And I would say like, I knew about my cycles and I knew like about my cervical mucus and I knew so much about this and still it was like, but it should be easier than this was the feeling I had in my body, which then led to like my body's failing at doing this. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm like, my heart is breaking mm -hmm. and I, I know that your experience isn't unique it isn't. and that's, that's the reason why I never shut up about this stuff. Thank you. Uh, well, it, because this is why it's so important to have education. You're not the only woman to discover that because if you're told that, you know, it's possible every single day and all that kind of stuff, then when you're ready to try, see what happens is you don't even think to yourself, maybe I should come off this stuff earlier. Maybe I should give myself a window. Maybe I should stop taking the pill. My recommendation is 18 months to two years before you're ready to start trying so that you can actually like you're actively avoiding pregnancy, but you're, you can see what your cycles are like. 
if it happens to take you three or four months before you get your first period, it's not the end of the world because you gave yourself a buffer period. If you don't empower women with this knowledge, then it leaves them in a situation where they wait until the minute that they're ready to start trying to come off this medication because they've always been so terrified of immediate pregnancy. Some women obviously do get pregnant right away, but many don't. And then it just causes unnecessary stress from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And frankly, like I was off hormones for over two years before, but I had the copper iodine, but I don't know how that would have affected my body. What I did find that was the most effective thing was uh, my diet. When I paid attention to what was not just with fertility, when I I stopped eating gluten and I, I hesitate to say like what I stopped eating because I don't want people to be like, that's the key. That's the key. Like everybody's body is different and everyone will respond to different things. For me personally, we had tried a whole bunch of different dietary changes. Gluten. I noticed not only did I get pregnant literally within a month of stopping eating gluten, but then I um, stopped. I was having neck pain that went away. I was having low back pain that went away. There were all these other symptoms of things that went away and my doctor at the time had been like, uh, all right, if you're not pregnant by this time, then we'll send you to a fertility specialist and we can start looking at medical options. And that was the only thing that had been presented to me. It was us seeking support outside of my PCP that led to us even getting other support or having people ask other questions like, what do you eat? How do you feel after you eat it? Right? Like simple questions. Um, but even knowing that there's another option, I, I don't think is readily available. So I'm so grateful for your work and book um, and books for being able to like have these conversations. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. 
And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Are there folks who might be a good candidate for hormonal birth control? And then as the second part of that question, like if yes, are there like hormonal supplements that they would then take so that they're, they didn't have that drop that you were talking about in those hormones? Well, so the most important thing to understand is that that drop in hormones is necessary so that you don't get pregnant. Mm, Got it. Like the reason why it works is because it suppresses ovulation and you can't suppress ovulation without dropping the hormones. Like it's, it's what it is. So that is why it works. But as like, it does it do things other than, I guess I'm thinking I didn't, I didn't struggle with like really bad cramps or heavy bleeding, but for folks who do, does the birth control pill help with that? Even if you were to supplement or no. So, um, well, first of all, you wouldn't go on the birth control pill and then take more hormones. So by supplement, just to clarify what you mean by supplement, because you meant like, I, I think the question was like, would you go on the pill and then take like supplement with hormones to balance those levels? So you're already taking synthetic hormones. So you wouldn't also take other hormones, if that makes sense. Um, what I would say for, uh, I think, I, I always want to clarify my stance about birth control because I can come across as like super negative about it, obviously, um, given that I share the research about the side effects. So my position on birth control is really that it's an option that should be available for everybody. And my issue with birth control is that women are put on it with no information. They're not told about the side effects. Mm-hmm. And so they go on it and no one told them that they could become anxious and depressed or have recurrent yeast infections or have issues sexually or whatever. So then they're on it. And then if they start to, you know, not want sex anymore, they go to a therapist who then, (laughs) if they start to feel depressed, they're put put on antidepressants. So my issue with it is, is the informed consent piece. And so um, I think that it's helpful in the same vein of informed consent, that if women do have issues, because in the medical community, it would seem as though the pill is presented as the panacea for everything that could ever go wrong with your period. And right. that's how doctors are trained. So if you have irregular cycles, pill. If you have painful periods, pill. Everything is pill. Even if you have emotional problems, pill. Everything is pill. So it's important to recognize that the pill can uh, suppress symptoms, but it is not, nor has it ever been, a cure. It doesn't actually address any of the root cause issues that are causing the problem. Remember, it was the first mm-hmm. drug invented for healthy people to stop a natural process in the body. So it was never, ever designed to heal anything. So um, I think that it's really helpful to know that because as you mentioned, when you were struggling with fertility challenges, you had no idea that there were other alternatives. You were presented with medical intervention and that's it. Mm -hmm. So for a woman who has really painful periods or other issues, she is in the same situation, (laughs) only different because she's presented with the pill or um, uh, painkillers as the only solution. So I think that the pill can play an important role in alleviating symptoms. Um, I think we all do the best we can with the knowledge that we have. 
I think that there's an issue in our culture. We, we are taught that periods are supposed to be painful and horrible. And so a lot of women think that it's normal to have pain and they think it's just the lot of life. So what if we learn from a young age that although it's common, it's not actually normal for, you know, for periods to be painful? What if we learn that pain in any other circumstance is actually considered to be a problem? And I can't actually think of any other situation where moderate to severe pain would ever be considered normal for anybody. And what if we learn that the root of this pain for the vast majority of women is inflammation and possibly other underlying conditions like endometriosis? There's research to show that women who experience pain, just as an example, uh, have four times the level of prostaglandins, which are a known marker for inflammation. So there's an actual real thing that's happening there. And what if the medical system said, hey, if inflammation is at the root of this, why don't we try to find ways to reduce it? Why don't we look at dietary sources of inflammatory foods like I don't know, dairy that's consumed by uh, or produced from cows that are eating genetically modified corn when they're supposed to eat grass. I don't know. Um, we can, there's scientific evidence to, that shows that when you measure the milk of cows that eat that inappropriate food, that they have a higher level of omega-6 fatty acids that contribute to inflammation versus cows that eat grass. Same with the meat. Um, you know, canola oil, industrial seed oils, all those things are known to contain a higher, high level of omega-6, which is like, so what I'm saying is, we can go down the boxes and strategically um, create strategies to reduce inflammation. And then there are also a number of uh, uh, supplements and, and um, you know, food-based medicines and things like that that have, again, it's not just like whoop de doo there's science behind it. So in the book, I cite a number of researches. So just to kind of rattle off a couple, like turmeric, um, magnesium, zinc, even CBD oil, are all shown to reduce inflammatory factors. So it's like a long answer to your question, I know. <laughs> no, I, I'm here for it. This is like, <laughs> this is like the like meat of what I wanted to be able to get to today was that we are treating symptoms with a, um, just like a Band-Aid instead of looking at like, what are those symptoms telling us? Yeah, so I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with using the pill to manage symptoms, but I think it would be helpful if we knew that that's what we were doing and yeah. it was presented in that honest, clear way, right? And then totally. while you're on it, particularly for women who have really severe pain or suffer from endometriosis, we, again, that's another thing. A lot of women have severe pain and they're just put on the pill and then maybe 10 years down the road when they want to have a baby, they find out that they've got fourth stage endometriosis. I mean, this right. would have been helpful information to have before. So in addition to that, I think that could be a first step. I mean, unfortunately in this culture, I mean, I wish it wasn't the first step, right? Yeah. But for women who are on that, but the second step could be addressing the underlying issues. Mm-hmm. And the challenge with the pill is that when you're on it, you just get a bleed every 28 days. So if there was a problem, you don't know about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're masking it. Um, totally. Oh my gosh. It's so like, I have so many light bulbs going on. Uh, <laughs> and this is like, this is what reading this book was. It was like us having light bulbs. Our whole team read it and we would just like slack each other about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, can you believe like, cause I was on turmeric as I was navigating fertility and stuff. I, on turmeric, like reduced, we took away sugar, we took away dairy, we took away gluten. Um, for me, I saw the biggest change in gluten in, uh, throughout my whole body. But yeah, woof. one thing that it's still, and this, I was gonna say, this is maybe something that's particular 
probably something that comes up for me, but we know with the Me Too movement that it's not. I am a rape survivor. And so for me, one of the things with birth control and like having been on the pill, um, there was this peace of mind for me knowing that I hadn't gotten pregnant from being raped that I'm just curious about because we live in a culture where sexual assault doesn't seem to be going down right now. What our thoughts are there on like, are there things outside of an IUD or hormones um, that can help protect women from unwanted pregnancy that are not maybe in a consensual sexual relationship? Yeah, I mean, that's an important issue and obviously a complex one. Yeah, totally. Uh, so what I'll say, because my experience is different. So yeah. my entire adult life in my sexual relationships and encounters, I have never been on hormonal contraception. Yeah. And so the way that I look at it then from my kind of different perspective uh, is that when you're charting your cycles, you do know where you are in your cycle. So, you know, if something like that took place, first things first, you would actually know if there was a chance of pregnancy or not. Mm -hmm. um, now that, I mean, that's just something to like, that, that's the first thing I think of. And I think of it also in the general sense, like outside of sexual violence, where if your partner used condoms and the condom broke. Yeah, totally. Failed to withdraw in time. If it happened um, after ovulation, for example, when it's impossible to get pregnant, then you would know that mm -hmm. when you're charting. And so um, depending on, you know, a person's comfort level, uh, one of the things that often comes up when I'm working specifically with clients who are actively avoiding pregnancy. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, what to do if, because you have to, and you should anyways, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, regardless of whether you're on hormonal contraceptives or not. I mean, this conversation should take place if you're having sex with another human being, that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, but uh, basically, one of the strategies that a number of my clients have implored is basically having plan B or Ella, so emergency contraceptive mm -hmm. at the ready. And with the increased knowledge around fertility awareness-based methods, then you would actually know if it, if, if it would be the appropriate time to take it. Mm -hmm. So like if worse came to worse and something like that took place and you weren't on the pill, I, I just choose not to live in a place of fear, right? this culture that we live in puts us in a constant state of fear of everything. They tell us we can get pregnant all the time. And mm -hmm. how many women are living their lives in a constant state of fear because they could get pregnant. And it's not even, when you break it down, it's like a week per cycle that we can identify with very specific <laughs> methods. Yeah. So if it happened, um, it's helpful to know how emergency contraceptives work. So um, emergency contraceptives primarily work by delaying ovulation. Um, Ella has been shown to be potentially more effective in terms of how kind of like within if, if um, the unprotected sex event happens closer to ovulation, but primarily they delay ovulation. So they give you a burst of synthetic hormones that delay ovulation. So if you were to have sex and it was on a fertile day or if sex was, if sex happened, it, I don't call it sex actually, if it's violence. So yeah. if you were assaulted. Yep. Um, and it happened to be on a fertile day and you were charting and you knew that. So the first thing to do would be to grab an emergency contraceptive. If again, depending on your belief system, right. um, like I said, the primary, um, that's why I say that. Cause I know for a lot of women, the thought of it aborting something might be um, 
not in alignment with their values. So it's helpful to understand how it works from a scientific standpoint to see if it would align with your values. Um, but yeah, that would be an option. It delays ovulation. And if you're charting, you would be able to see that, meaning that the sperm can't survive for more than five days in your body. So if it's actively, like if you take it right away and it's delaying that ovulation, then by the time ovulation eventually happens, mm-hmm. there's no sperm and that's why it works. So it's not a hundred percent effective, but right. it's a lot better than having nothing. Totally. Totally. That is really helpful. So if folks are listening who have uh, children who have vagina, have a vagina, I was going to say vaginas, but you really, you have one vagina, um, but have a child with a vagina, what is, uh, I guess, what, what, what in your dream world would be how we are talking to children who are going to enter into like menstruation? How are we talking to them about what this means and what to pay attention to? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, so I know that there's a lot of political correctness around saying girls and boys, right? Yeah. Um, Well, I'm just like, there are people with vaginas (laughs) that don't identify as a girl. True. I think as a woman that has kind of gone through, I think women, we fought so hard to have the right to even just be here and talk that I'm comfortable saying women and people with vaginas or girls and children with vaginas to acknowledge that we're actually talking about girls. That's a separate thing. Um, I, in my dream world, I think that's a, that's not a separate thing. I appreciate that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, cause I, I find it to be challenging given the field that I'm in to have people kind of jump on me for saying the word woman. Cause I just want to be inclusive of folks that aren't also women, but do have a vagina. Yes. So girls and children with vaginas. Um, In my dream world, I actually wouldn't necessarily separate that conversation based on gender. I I think that every, you know, the conversation should be had. I've got two boys. um, And I, you know, it it obviously is a bit different because I wouldn't, the conversation for a boy or for a person who does not have a vagina, Mm -hmm. who's not menstruating, um, you're not necessarily going to have that physical experience, but I feel like you can still have that conversation. But in my dream world, I think what I would love to see, and I think a lot of fertility awareness educators would also love to see, is a real just conversation about mucus, making it normal. I know a lot of people have issues with the thought of sharing this information with teens. Like, how could you tell them that they're not fertile every day? They're just going to run around and have sex. No. The research tells us that the more education that you provide to young people about sexual health and and the more information that you give, it provides them with the tools and they potentially end up um, not even having sex as early. So the research tells us the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it comes to, you know, what I would love to see um, young people learn about fertility awareness Um, To start with, talking to girls about cervical fluid, like cervical fluid is magical. And if we presented it in a positive way to say that, you know, ovulation is like a superpower. It's how we make our hormones. It's how we make estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. It's this incredible time of the cycle where we have um, often many of us feel very creative and very outgoing. And when you're approaching ovulation, you know, that's when you start to make the cervical fluid and it's a totally normal, healthy um, fluid that your body makes. And what's really cool about cervical fluid is that it can help you to predict your period. 
So when you see your cervical fluid in your cycle, I want you to pay attention to it. You know, go to the bathroom. When you go to the bathroom, wipe and see when you feel slippery, like look for this really cool fluid. I also believe this conversation could take place before Menarche, before the first period even happens. And then once you see it, you know, track it, grab, you know, there's tons of period tracker apps and all kinds of stuff now. So, you know, I want you to start tracking it. And then when your mucus stops, your period is going to come about 12 to 14 days after that. And so you'll never be surprised when your period comes. I mean, that's like a superpower. What teenage girl or individual with a vagina would not want to know how to pre predict your period? Like, uh -huh. are you kidding me? And to blow your mind even more, what about teaching girls that before their first period so mm -hmm. that they can like what if the conversation is like oh my gosh mommy i saw my mucus today does that mean i'm gonna get my period soon and then she's ready she's got her period products in her backpack she's empowered and she started her journey of menstruation in a positive way now that is my imagination for how this could look i love it tiny human Alyssa could have used it <laughs> right me too <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for folks who are interested to learn more about, as you were saying, um, you were talking about sex and talking to kids about sex and the research behind that, we have an episode called Let's Talk About Sex, Baby, and we will link that in the blog post. It's it's an older one. It might be episode 30 or somewhere around there, but we'll link it in the blog post um, about that research and how to talk to kids about sex. and how young we start laying this foundation so folks can dive in deeper to that i love your dream world and hope that we can help all humans learn more about how their bodies function and work and and how what we put into our bodies or on our bodies affects how our systems operate i hope that we can have that conversation from a perspective of everybody's body is different and let's figure out what works best in your system. I hope that that's where we're moving with this conversation, including birth control um, or any sort of, any really anything we're putting into our body would be nice to be talking about it in that manner, I think. Um, Do you mind if I, because I know that when I talk about this concept of teenagers and teaching them mm. about their cycles and their bodies, people get really weird about it. Yeah, uncomfortable. Um, really uncomfortable. And so one of the questions I get a lot too is like, so, you know, do you think that teenagers should be using fertility awareness and birth control? Um, because that's mm -hmm. why, one of the reasons why people think that it's not about that. So if you notice when I gave my perfect world scenario, um, or at least my vision, I didn't, it wasn't about sex. And the cycle wasn't about only having babies, right? Because often women are kind of told, oh, you get your period now, you can have babies. That, and that's the end of the conversation. It's never taught in, outside of a sexual or baby making type of way. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess the, just what I would like to share is that I think that teenagers should use condoms. <laughs> and I don't think that there's anything wrong with um, having young women um, use a combination of condoms and uh, potentially like cervical cap or diaphragm because I know you want to make sure as a like as a as a young woman mm. that you are empowered that you don't have to rely on your partner um, but at the same time why would we be promoting anything but condoms for teenagers when we have you know we want to be responsible we want to talk about STIs and yeah. I think that it's highly problematic to promote hormonal methods over everything else um, to completely forget about diaphragms and to completely forget about the power of using two barrier methods together yeah. so that our girls don't all have to be put on hormones. 
Yeah, no, totally. I appreciate that. Um, I think it makes a lot of folks uncomfortable because a lot of us have unhealed inner child work to do around what our experiences have been and what narratives um, and social programming we are coming to adulthood with. And man, it's hard work to do. Rad. So where can folks find you, connect with you, get your book, all that jazz? Please let them know the name of your book again. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, so the book is The Fifth Vital Sign. If you are interested in learning more, all the topics that we talked about, the pill, the fertility awareness method, all that stuff, um, it's available on Amazon in paperback, audiobook, and ebook format. And you can get the first chapter for free over at thefifthvitalsignbook.com. Um, if you want to learn more about fertility awareness, I've got a ton of podcast episodes. So just type Fertility Friday in your favorite podcast player. And thank you so much for having me. I've, I guess one other thing I can mention is that I've got a, a ton of free resources, like free video series and introduction to fertility awareness and trying to conceive using fertility awareness to time over at fertilityfriday.com slash freebies, especially for anyone who's listening, who's like, okay, I want to learn more about this timing thing. I want to make sure I'm doing what I can from this perspective when I'm trying. Yeah, that's rad. And Fertility Friday is where folks can also find you over on the gram. Is that right? Yes. Rad. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today and bringing your delicious nerdy self to the table. It's fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It was fun to hear how both you and your team responded to the book. So thanks for sharing that too. Totally. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 